Hey, it's great to be with you this morning. As you know, Greg is out of town. Uh, Kathy, our deacon, uh, injured her back, and she is out for a while. So it's just me and everyone else who's coming here and all of you. So it's not just me. Um, have you ever been over your head or out of your comfort zone? I'm not saying I am right now, but... Um, <laughs> Or perhaps you've had the sense that you didn't belong somewhere. For some of you, that may bring back memories of being in the university and going to calculus class and realizing you had no idea what the professor was talking about. That would have been my case. Well, one story comes to mind uh, for me when it comes to being in over my head or way out of my comfort zone. Two years ago, I was in Brazil visiting my uh, wife's in-laws and some of her friends. And I always go for two weeks. My wife stays for three weeks. And after two weeks, I start getting kind of confident in the little bit of Portuguese I know, all in the present tense, I'll tell you, because I speak like a caveman in Portuguese. And uh, so I was with some of her friends, and some of them are bilingual, some of them know a little bit, like me. And uh, we were having a conversation one night, and uh, I, I told that one of the guys was talking about motorcycles, and I knew enough how to say motorcycles, and I was saying, uh, you know, basically that's great that you like motorcycles, do you ride a lot? This is what I thought I was saying, right? I was telling him all this, and well, a couple days later, we get together with them, and the friend says, hey, we got a surprise for you. So they want to bring me downstairs, uh, you know, from this big apartment complex, and I go there, and there's this guy's motorcycle, and he's handing me the keys. See, he thought I liked motorcycles, and I wanted to ride one. Little information about me. I've never ridden a motorcycle in my life, and... Uh, the one time I rode a mini bike, I forgot where the brake was, and I hit the gas and ran into a tree. So uh, I know nothing about motorcycles except for watching like James Bond movies or Fast and the Furious, and it looked cool when I was watching it, but as my wife can tell you, I have no business being on a motorcycle. I break things, lots of things, and it was not for me. So finally, fortunately, my wife was there to translate and to tell them that I was just saying I liked it that they like motorcycles, but I have no business riding a motorcycle. So I was way out of my comfort zone. It was way out of my uh, skill level. And fortunately, I was humble enough to not get on that motorcycle. Because in South America, if you've ever been there, you don't want to drive, period. And if you're driving a motorcycle, it's even more challenging. People drive like nuts there. And uh, I would have either hurt myself or someone else, or I definitely would have hurt that bike. All of us are faced with times in our lives when we're out of our comfort zone. We're in over our head. We don't understand. It's not comfortable. When it comes to matters of faith, oftentimes we feel the same way. We feel like we're insecure. We don't understand everything. We'll leave it to the experts, to a pastor, to a priest, to somebody who we think is the expert. Perhaps we feel insecure about our lives. We feel like our moral life does not uh, match what God would have for us. So we become more insecure. Or perhaps because we don't understand, we look at Christians and we call them hypocrites. They say one thing on Sunday and they live their lives differently during the week. Or perhaps as a rebellious teenager that I had in one of my uh, youth groups years ago, said when I brought him to camp and I said, hey, what did you think of the talk? And he said, God's up here, up there. I'm down here, and I don't care. And I was like, oh, that's great. I'm glad you're uh, tracking with the speaker. You know, I just kind of listened to him. It wasn't what I was expecting. But at least he was honest. You know, for others, maybe you go to church, you go through the motions, but you don't always understand. Well, today I have good news for all of us. 
As we unpack this theology of the Trinity, which is very complex and it confused Nicodemus as Jesus started talking about the Father and sending the Son and the being born of the Spirit. But when we start unpacking and understand it, we're going to understand that God is for us, that he loved us so much that he sent his Son so that he could be with us, he could be connected to us. And he didn't just leave us there, he joined us in in his redemptive story. And that all of us who put our faith and trust in Christ, we are included in his family. And he still doesn't leave us just there. He sends us the Holy Spirit. He sends us his power. He sends us a reminder that we belong. So that we can live the Christian life this side of heaven. And ultimately we have the hope at the end of our lives that eternal life is real. And we can be with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in that community in heaven. So let's begin with our gospel passage. The thing I love about Nicodemus is he was honest. He wasn't one of those people who are like, yeah, 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 I understand what you're talking about. He had no idea. Jesus was talking about being born again, being born of the Spirit. And he says, now how can you enter your mother's womb a second time and be born again? And I don't think he was trying to be funny. I think he really didn't understand. He came at night probably because he, he was a religious leader. He was somebody respected in his community. He didn't want people to know that he didn't have all the answers. So he talks with Jesus more, and Jesus is telling him more things about being born of water and of the Spirit. And he says, how can this be? So he didn't understand about the Holy Spirit, about God sending the Son. And Jesus said that famous verse, For God so loved the world that he sent his Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. He was honest. He had questions. He did not understand. And you've got to remember, this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. We have the luxury of seeing it all the way showing through as Jesus lived his life, as he healed people. He shared this redemptive message. He went to the cross and died for people's sins. He rose from the dead so that all who believe the grave does not have the final word. Nicodemus didn't have the luxury of knowing that. He was just right there then, and he didn't understand, and he was honest. So let's look a little more at this Trinity and why it matters. First of all, the Trinity is not just a New Testament idea that a bunch of early church fathers just kind of made up. A matter of fact, Jesus, God's Son, was with God in the beginning. He was not created. He was begotten of the Father. It says in John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word was God. It says the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So Jesus, God's Son, was with God in the beginning. And we also know that the Spirit of God was not an afterthought either. Let's uh, just send the Holy Spirit to help people. It says, no, in Genesis 1-2, it says, The Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. So we have this community, and I know it's hard to understand, God in three persons. And I'm not going to try some clever analogy, but I just want you to understand that God the Son, God the Father, God the Spirit were there in the beginning of creation, before you and I were even into, into being, before anything was, they were. God was not alone, God was in community. And from this creation, we go on into the New Testament, and we see in Jesus' birth, his baptism, and the ministry, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit being a part of this. 
In his baptism, we see the Holy Spirit descend upon him. There's a voice from heaven, the Father, saying to listen to his Son. And then he begins his ministry, empowered by the Spirit, sharing this message of redemption with the whole world. And then we see this conversation with Nicodemus, where he talks about being born of the Spirit. He talks about how the Son must be lifted up, not realizing the Son would be lifted up on the cross, much as the way Moses in the desert lifted up that snake so that everybody who was bit by a snake would not die. The Son was lifted up so we could have the hope and actuality of eternal life if we believe. So we see this in creation, in the life of Jesus. And we see this lived out in the, uh, in the apostles, the, the followers of Christ, who, how they understood that God was for them. They understood that Christ had died for them and rose again. And they understood that they could live in the power of the Holy Spirit. So in this conversation with uh, Nicodemus, the first thing that we need to understand is that Jesus was not an afterthought for God. It wasn't like, you know what, I'm really angry. What am I going to do now? Let's create a son and send him to pacify my temper. No, a matter of fact, it says, for God so loved the world that he sent. It doesn't say, for God was so angry with the world that he sent his son. This was not a plan B. This was not, uh uh-oh, I made a mistake, so I'm going to send Jesus. Christ did not die to pacify an angry God and appease his wrath. God is not an opponent, and Jesus is our adversary. Jesus is our ally. No, let me read you what the, uh, the theologian Gary Bird says. Christ was not created. There was not a time in history when he was not. And so he enjoys an eternal existence precisely like God. Further, he shares the very essence of being of God. So why is this important? Because it means God is on our side. God is at work on our behalf. The work of Christ is God at work. God saving the world. God extending himself into the condition of our humanity and bringing about reconciliation. He did not send a messenger to do his dirty work. God himself came to the cross and suffered in order to bring his beloved creation back to himself. The Apostle Paul understood this. He wrote, All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He goes on when he was writing the letter to the Colossians. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him, through Christ, to reconcile all things, whether things on earth and heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Thus the cross is God's work. Jesus Christ came to earth not in order to change God's mind, but to express God's mind. God is revealed to us in Jesus Christ. It is his self-revelation. And so what about Jesus? We understand that God is for us. What is so amazing about that? At Christmas we sing Emmanuel, that God is with us. This is the mystery of the incarnation, that God became one of us. Now some of the philosophy at the time struggled with this. How could a perfect God be with our sinfulness? So they created this thing called Gnosticism, where they're like, Jesus really never came as a person. He was more like a friendly ghost that came along, kind of like a Casper figure. But see, that's not true. God came down in our muck, in our dirtiness, in all our brokenness. He came in the person of Jesus. And not to leave us in that, but to die for us on the cross. 
so that he could break those chains, chains. He could break that curtain so we could see God, so that we could be in relationship with God. He came to give us life, hope, and renewal. And he did not do it from a distance. He did not fly, as you've heard me say before, that plane over Myrtle Beach that said, God loves you with a little thing, and then eat at Joe's Crab Shack after that. No, he came down. He lived among us. And as I said in my prayer, he didn't leave us like that. When Jesus rose again, he talked to his disciples and he said, I'm going to leave you another. I'm going to leave you my presence, the Holy Spirit, that God is going to live in you. He's going to empower you so that you can walk the walk, that you can live the Christian life, that you can be reminded of who you are. See, when you understand that God is for you, you understood that he sent his son, that God became one of us, that he's with us. Our human condition, our brokenness. That he broke those chains on the cross, that all who receive him, they'll believe in him. He gives the right to become children of God. Then you understand that he didn't leave us just there. He also gives us the power to live this out. In Galatians, Paul writes, But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his sons into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. See, the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. That's what the Apostle Paul tells us. So the spirit reminds us of who we are and who we belong to, to all who believe and who have received him. And the Spirit also changes our hearts. It softens them. It helps us to value the things that God values. In his kingdom language, the Sermon on the Mount, we look to people and we notice people. We love the least of these. The prophet Ezekiel writes uh, of this coming of the new kingdom as he prophesied about Christ and about the coming of the Holy Spirit. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all impurities and from all idols. I will give you a new heart and out a new spirit in you. I will remove you from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will pour out my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, you will be changed from the inside out. It purifies you, reminds you who you are, gives you the power to live the life, softens your heart, so you'll value the things that God values. So we understand that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is in creation. It was in the life of Christ. And it's also in our life as believers. And when we understand that at the end of our life, whether you live to be 105, 55, or however you live, death does not have the final word. When Jesus talked to Nicodemus, he said, For God so loved the world that he gave his own only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Eternal life is not a pipe dream. It's not a wish. It's not like believing in the tooth fairy or the Easter bunny. It is a reality. It's a reality for those who believe. And that's why the apostles, the people who saw Jesus rose from the dead, were so excited to share their faith. They understood this. Paul writes, Now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we also may share in his glory. 
Death does not have the final word for all of us who are believers. And this is very good news for all of us. So what are we going to do with this message? When we understand that God is for us, that God is with us, and then God empowers us to live the Christian life, well, it begins with your creation story. You see, you had a beginning. You were born. You were born into a family, a community. Even if it wasn't a great one, someone named you. You didn't come out of your mother and say, my name is Steve. You were part of a family, a community. And now you're living this thing called life. We all have ups and downs and we have struggles. And even the healthiest of us, the ones who uh, have all our vitamins, eat all organic produce, do everything right, we all are part of the statistic that one in one of us will eventually die. However, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have a different story for us who believe. You see, our life is not an accident. It says in the Psalms that God knit us together in our mother's womb. He knows every hair on our heads, Jesus says. We are not an accident. We are invited to live life in his community. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Born again when you believe. For those who are lifelong members of this church or a liturgical uh, church, we have uh, events that help proclaim this. We have your baptism. We put the baby underwater or the adult. It's a symbol of death, of drowning. And then coming up is that new life. And then in our confirmation, we proclaim, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. We proclaim this new life of our baptism. We own it. And we understand that there's a community of people that are going to help us to live this life. And we have this life in the spirit where we understand that the Lord is with us and empowers us to live out these kingdom values to the world. When we understand this, we live life with confidence, not with fear, not timid, because we understand that death does not have the final word. So do you understand this? That's my question for you this morning. If you don't, you can understand this morning. All you have to do is put your trust and belief in Christ. He will make you a new creation. He will give you a new heart, fill you with your spirit, with his spirit. You'll become part of a new family. If you already know that you're a believer, the Holy Spirit's going to remind you over and over again. It's my prayer for all of us that we be reminded of who we belong to, that we're part of a family. And it's a family that uh, will not fall apart, will not split up, because we are adopted into a family where we don't get kicked out. For all of us who trust and believe, we will not get kicked out of this family. So what can we as a church and a community do to uh, bring out these values that the Trinity has? The Father who, uh, who loves, the Son's grace, the Holy Spirit's power. Well, we can live this out by being a community that acts. See, the community of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit is not just a static community. It's a community that, get, that has action. It invites. It invites people in. It sees people. It notices people that other people don't even look at. When you're a believer and you're in God's family, 
We as a church have a responsibility to bring God's love to the world, to bring God's grace to the world, and to bring the power of the Holy Spirit. We don't hang out in a holy huddle. This community looks outward. It looks to others. Remember that story I told about the kid who, uh, who said that God was up there, I'm down here, and I don't care? Well, the good thing about that story is there's a part two to it. You see, during that week, he started to get a little more emotional, and I think he understood that God did care for him. About six months later, he gave his life to Christ. See, he had a better ending than I would have thought. I would have written the guy off. But you see, God's community is a community of grace, a community of patience. That kid later died in a car crash about a year later. And death didn't have the final word for him because he was a member of the family you don't get kicked out of. So we as a church have a responsibility to tell people that God is for them. That God is with them because of Christ. He understands their pain, their plight. And we're to call people to belief, to put their trust and faith in this real hope. And then to bring them in the community of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, so they can be empowered to live the Christian life too. You know, recently uh, we had an Alpha at our church. Alpha is uh, kind of a back to the basics of the Christian faith. And we had a Saturday where we talked about the Holy Spirit. And as the facilitator of the group, I'm always a little nervous because what if nothing happens? We talk about the Holy Spirit and people are like, oh, that was great, but we just all leave unchanged. Well, Perhaps the person who was most changed from that time was me, because as we're talking about the Holy Spirit, I had tears in my eyes as I realized how much God loved me. And I went away from that weekend renewed again and being reminded that we don't live in just with this this cerebral belief that God is continually working on our hearts, reminding us who we belong to, changing our hearts of stone, making our hearts soft giving us a mind that is not uh, afraid but looks to others to bring them this great news. I want to end and uh, remind you of this. Paul wrote to the Colossians, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authority, He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The victory has been won. God is for us. He sent his son to be with us, and he gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit, so we have the power to live the Christian life. Well, I might as well leave you with one more Brazil story, and this one has a little happier ending, but I think it will give us an understanding of what faith looks like. Before I married Veronica, my Portuguese was even worse. I went to a, uh, an island off of Brazil, and it was called Fernando de Noronha. I'm sure my accent is terrible for any native Portuguese speakers. But anyway, I went to, the, uh, went to the island, and they said, learn to scuba dive. And it was called Batismo, which was not a going to church or anything like that. It was basically you listen to a guy with broken English and trying to speak to all the English-speaking tourists, and you get certified to uh, scuba dive in about ten minutes. So anyway, I, uh, I listened, and I was like, you know, okay, okay, okay. And I was all excited, and uh, so I went under, and I got scared. I was freaking out, started getting claustrophobic. I'm going to drown. I'm doing everything wrong. And all of a sudden, I get this tap on me because the guy could tell I was flailing, and he was right there with me. 
So he brought me up and he said in his broken English, I'm with you, don't be afraid. We went back down, I relaxed, kind of peeked up and saw that shadow above me. And then I started to notice all the beautiful uh, underwater scenery. See, that's what life with God is like. That God is with us. He sends us the Holy Spirit to empower us so that we open our eyes and see all that God wants us to do on this side of heaven. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are not a God who's up there, who just leaves us down there, but you're a God who cares. You're a God who's for us, who sent the Son so that we could be a member of uh, your family. Help us to believe that, to trust in that, to receive that. Fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we have the power to live the Christian life today. In Jesus' name, amen.